Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. One of the things I was thinking about this week as I was preparing for my pastor to be here, I thought, if Hebrews 11 was written today, Pastor Tommy Barnett's name would be right in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to tell you, some of you don't realize he's probably been the greatest voice of influence to other pastors across the globe um, and, and just has affected. In fact, the ripple effects of that are amazing because it's not just the pastors, but then all of their churches. And um, so their ripple effect is amazing. I don't really even have time to tell you, but some of you have heard me talk about the great Dream City Church that he launched. It was really America's one of America's first mega and largest churches in its time, and uh, kind of set the set the path for other churches to follow. Uh, he's now their global traveling pastor. He's traveling here from preaching in California. He leaves from here to go preach in Boston. His schedule's making me tired just listening to him, everybody. I'm telling you. He launched with his son the L.A. Dream Center that many of you know about that has positively influenced thousands upon thousands of ex-gangbangers and prostitution and runaway teenagers and just hopeless individuals, those who have been human trafficked and just on and on the list goes. Now there's nearly 300 dream centers across the globe. Come on now. You know, you've heard me say this, and I just want you to know that if you hear him say anything that I've already said, he stole it from me. I just, I want everybody to know that. His life has epitomized the whole statement, find a need and fill it. And wow, you know, it's just something simple that we can all do. And, um, and, and so if I was to list all of his accomplishments, we'd be here all day long. And uh, so I won't do that. But um, today he brought a book, and I hope you buy him out because I had to carry that bag of books through the airport yesterday. And I may have to go to physical therapy after. So please buy every book that he brought with him. But if you look at that book in the beginning, the list of people that endorse the book says almost all that you – a wide variety of some of America's greatest leaders endorsing it. Um, I just want to say this before he comes. He has been the single most influential person in my life. He's been a spiritual father to me, and he's my pastor. And I told him, that when he goes to Boston, that the people in Boston won't have nothing on you, that you'll be the most excited, most attentive, most spiritual, amen in group that he's ever preached to. Come on, would you welcome Pastor Tommy Barnett? Come on, everybody. I love you, buddy. Thank you very much. Well, let's stand to give Jesus a good clap offering. Come on, everybody on your feet. Make it ring loud and strong. Come on, you can do better than that. One more time. Come on, one more time. Bam. Uh, before you're seated, turn to the one beside you and say you look like you've been working out some more. Come on. <laughs> tell them and they'll feel better. All right. There's no way to tell you how honored I am to be here today to walk into this place and see what you've done with this magnificent building 
God has given you here. This is, man, this is, <laughs> it sounds men shouldn't say this, but this is a dollhouse. Eh? <laughs> it's just beautiful for what God has raised up. And I'm just so proud of this church and proud of you all. You know, that introduction was the second best one I've ever had, really. There was just one better. There was nobody to introduce me, and I had to introduce myself. But uh, I can't tell you how great it is to be here. It's great to be someplace that people know who I am. You know, I, I travel across the country at airports and uh Always, I see somebody over there, and they're whispering, they're whispering, and finally one gets enough nerve and walks over to me, and they say, did anybody ever tell you that you looked like Jerry Jones? So now I know what they're going to do, and when they say, did anybody ever tell you you look like, I say, yes, Brad Pitt, amen. (laughs) Now it hurts me when you all laugh that way, I want you to know that way. But uh, it's good to be in a place that that I'm known, and I know it's because of your wonderful pastor and his wonderful accolades. And I want you to forgive me this morning if I'm just a little extra sentimental, a little melancholy, because this year I turned 84 years of age, amen. I've been married to the same old gal for 58 years. Amen. I'd rather fight than switch. Amen. I've been preaching the gospel for 68 years. I started when I was 16 years of age, traveling across this nation by myself in a Jeep station wagon. But I tell you the reason I'm most melancholy today is because the joy of being here with your pastor, his wonderful wife, and two great children that God has raised up in this church. I can say without a doubt that you have the greatest worship team in America. Amen. I would never change this. It is so unbelievable. I'm going to go home and say we're firing all of our seven worship leaders across our campuses because we found a better way and a cheaper way. All right. Thank God. But... I'm very melancholy because I met your pastor when he was probably in his 20s, pastoring in Detroit, his first church. And my son was pastoring in Dayton, and they were both struggling in those new churches. You know, if you have deacons, I mean demons, I mean deacons, amen. (laughs) And they were going through the growing pains, and I would sit and listen to them together. They became dear friends. And then, of course... I'd watch this man, his life, the way he lives. And I'm just so proud of him and his family and how God has used this church. I don't think there's any person that God has raised up in our ministry that I'm more proud of than I am, Pastor Ken Hubbard. Amen. What a great man of God he is. And I'm proud of this church in four years. My goodness, what you've done, the people have gathered, you've gone through the pandemic and you've had every demon in the world come against you. And yet this church is back strong, stronger than ever before, growing pains. Oh my, I could just keep going. You know, recently on my, what was it, my, well, it was a big anniversary, my 80th, 80th birthday, 
they had a big celebration in our church in which they wanted to honor me. So they brought in many of the friends of our ministry, and many of you know that I'm the chancellor of Southeastern University. I used to be chancellor of Grand Canyon, and the presidents were there. And one of them came up and said, we're going to commission Pastor Barnett to write his biography, and so I did. It's just been out shortly, and I'd like to introduce to you today, and I only brought 30 of them with me, and really they are very heavy because they got special paper with beautiful pictures of what God has done. It's kind of a coffee table book, really, and uh, it's entitled, What If? It's not a book about regret, looking back and said, what if I'd done this? But it's a book looking to the future because God speaks of people in many different ways. Some people have visions and dreams of the future. Some people have even heard the voice of God, and some said they've even seen God. But that's never been the way that God has spoken to me. The way that God has spoken to me is he put out there an opportunity. And I said to myself, I don't know if that's God or not. But I'll, I'll never be sure lest I go down that trail. And I go down that trail. And God opens up another door and another door. And then he opens up another trail. But I say, what if that was God? And that's what the book is about. I got a few months ago a call just before going to bed at 9 o'clock from John Maxwell. For you that love books, he's, a, he's the man. So more books than anybody except for Joyce Meyer. Amen. Thank God. Let's hear it for the women. Thank God for the women. And he said, Pastor, I, I picked up your book and began to read it. He said, I could not put it down. He said, I read hundreds of books given to me to read. And honestly, I just read a couple of chapters and put it down. But he said, I read it completely through. And part of it is about him in this book, how God changed his life, one of our conferences about. And he said, it's the most inspiring book I ever read. So uh, pretty good endorsement coming from John Maxwell. Yeah. And I urge you to stop by and get it. That's all the announcements. Everybody's glad they're over. Say good amen. amen. Most sinners feel that way. Right. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I'm a self-made man? When you look at Tommy Barnett, you do not see a self-made man. When you look at Tommy Barnett, you see a little bit of uh, Oral Roberts. You see, Oral Roberts is my dear friend. Every year he would fly out and spend a week with me. And during the daytime, we did something very spiritual. We played golf. Amen. And at nighttime, we'd get in the Word of God. And my, that man knew the Word. I loved Oral Roberts. He taught me the principle of seed faith. If you want to harvest, you got to sow a seed. If a church wants a blessing, then it's got to be a blessing. So when you look at Oral Roberts, you look at Tommy Barnett, you look at Oral Roberts. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but he was my friend. When you look at Tommy Barnett, you see a little bit of Dr. Cho, pastor of the greatest church in the history of the world. He died only a few months ago. I was a part of his funeral by video. 30 years I was on his board. I loved him dearly. He taught me the principle of building a powerful numerical church because it could influence the community. So when you look at the men standing up here, you see a little bit of Dr. Cho. 
When you look at the men on the platform, you see a little bit of Herschel Barnett. He was my father. He taught me things nobody else could teach me, like integrity, of doing right, of living right. So you're not looking at a self-made man. It is the influence of other people. And so today, I'm not preaching you a message. This is an impartation. This sermon has been in preparation for 60 years. You'll say, I hope it doesn't take that long to preach today. Amen. <laughs> but we'll be out of here in the next 30 minutes. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll anoint the message that I believe that you put on my heart just for this church at this moment in history. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. I want to speak to you on the subject of surprise me, Lord. Now, you've got to listen to the sermon for the first five minutes on purpose as I set a foundation. But if you'll do that, I think you'll want to listen the rest of the sermon. You see, there are several passages of scriptures in the Bible that deal with things that we must do in order to get our prayers answered, our conditions that we must meet. For instance, John chapter 15 and verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, I want you to know this. It didn't say ask what you will first. It said first, you've got to abide in me and my word has got to abide in you. You see, prayer is not an Aladdin lamp that you rub and ask for what you want and get it. Prayer is not a rabbit's foot. Prayer is a formula that always works. It's not a guess proposition. If you abide in me, and the word abide means live. You don't visit there. You live there. You live in him. He lives in you. You live in the word. The Word lives in you. He becomes your life. And His Word abides in you. Then, the Bible says you've got carte blanche. Ask anything, anything that you want. And God said, it shall be done unto you. Here's another famous scripture. That famous Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 4. It's another formula. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. Then, God said, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sins. I'll heal your land. God is a God of formula. There is a way, the Bible said, that a nation can be healed and saved. That always works. If my people, my people, it did not say the devil's crowd, my people, called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from the wicked ways. Then I will, not I might, not I usually do, not I can do it, but I will hear from heaven, forgive the sins, heal their land. And that's God's promise, and it's a formula. Now that's the foundation. Follow me closely. Now, suppose I do that. Suppose I meet the conditions for answered prayer. The Bible said now, let him ask what he will, and it shall 
be done unto him. Now, wait a minute. This now opens a second choice on how to pray. Follow me closely. The same qualifications for me to be able to have what I will qualifies me for this second choice in prayer. So when I have separated myself, don't miss this, when I'm really abiding in God, when His Word is abiding in me, I have a second choice. So you get it, I think I better do it this way. There are two boxes up here that I have a choice that I can check. The first box is, I now, since I've met the conditions, I may ask anything that I will. But there's also a second choice. I may have what He wills for my life. And the scripture for that is, Thy kingdom come, and Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this may surprise you, but I hardly ever pray for anything for myself. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You should, in fact. The Bible commands you, you have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. But do you know why I scarcely ask for anything for myself? Because I'm afraid if I pray for something for myself, he may have something bigger and better for me because his desire for you is greater than your desire for you. What God wants you to have is bigger. You see, we don't even know how to ask. Let's suppose now that I asked God for, I prayed for a pint. Now, that doesn't sound very good, does it? So let me rephrase that. Let's suppose that I prayed for God to give me a fifth. Come on, I can tell what you've been doing. Amen. <laughs> you, I, I believe that God would give me a pint if I would meet the conditions. But it just may be that God was going to give me a gallon. So I have a choice in the matter. I can say this is what I choose. I have a right to pray that way. I met the conditions. I can ask. And according if I really do live that way, that I can have it, or I can say, God, I want you to choose. I want you to help me make this decision. I still don't think you got it, so let me use one more illustration. It was near Christmas time, and getting ready to shop, and my wife said, honey, have you picked out my Christmas present yet? And I said, yes, I have. Oh, she said, I wish I'd have caught you sooner. I was hoping that instead of a present, you'd give me money this year because you always get the wrong color, the wrong size, the wrong style. She said, you think you could take it back and get the money and give it to me? And I said, well, I can try. And sure enough, I took it back, and they gave me exchange for money, and I gave it to her. A few months later, we were going through the mall shopping. Now, I'd rather go through seven years of the tribulation than go <laughs> shopping with my wife. And all the men said, Amen. see, most of them are chicken, ladies. You hear that? They're not going to go down that road. Amen. As we walked through the mall, we came to a beautiful jewelry store. And I said, would you like to see 
what I picked you out for Christmas that you didn't want? And she said, you know, I would. And I pointed to a beautiful ring with beautiful jewels in it. And she said, oh. The next Christmas came about. And I said, honey, would you like for me to just give you money for Christmas this year? She said, oh, you just pick out something and give it to me. <laughs> and she said, just surprise me. Amen. See, what God wants you to have is better than what you want to have. But the tragic thing is this. We say, I want what I want. I want what I want. And God looks down and says, oh, but if you just knew what I had planned for you. So the next few minutes, I have three things I want to say about this. I think I'm going to take you on a graduate course in prayer. Number one, his plan is better than my plan. When I was 12 years old, God called me to the ministry. And he put a dream in my heart to pastor a great church someday. Now let's suppose that I would have prayed that God would give me a big church to pastor. The largest church at that time, charismatic church, was a church of about a thousand people. Therefore, I probably would have asked God, to give me a church of 500 to 1,000 people. And I believe that God would have probably given that to me. But did you know God had a different plan for me? Did you know I almost missed it several times when we were looking for property to build our Phoenix campus in Phoenix, Arizona? We looked at a place called Tovery Mansion, just a beautiful place the most strategic location, right in the middle of Phoenix, all the freeways were there connecting to all of the five million people in greater of Phoenix. I wanted that piece of property, 25 acres, perfect location. But I had been praying, God, I want your will for the property that we get. And then we looked again, and I saw a place called McCune Mansion. It's where Barry Goldwater, who ran for president, he lived right next to it, Paradise Valley, overlooked the most beautiful place in all the valley to build. I almost prayed that God would give that to me, but I remembered, Lord, I want your will in this situation. Now listen closely. If we would have got that piece of property and I rolled one of my 40 buses in full of American heathens, amen, <laughs> and they climb over his trellis and into his yard, I don't think Barry had been very happy. And then I stood on the freeway, a beautiful piece of property, 15 acres, over 100,000 cars in 12 hours. We'd go by that piece of property. It was the most visible property in the city. And I almost prayed that God would give me that 15 acres. And the board and I stood together. We joined hands and the board said, let's claim this property, Pastor. I almost prayed that way, but God checked me. And I prayed this way. God, somewhere you've got a piece of property for us. And please, God, direct us and help us to make it right. If I would have prayed for that piece of property, I believe that God would have given it to us. But we would have had room for those 40 buses. Bringing in all those thousands of people. 
If we'd got that property, we wouldn't have had room for our auditorium, seating over 5,000 people. We wouldn't have been able to have Joyce Meyer to come to our conference for the last 20 years. It's the only church she goes to because the crowds are such that she's in an auditorium. If we'd have prayed and got that piece of property, we wouldn't have been able to have the Christmas pageant. And by the way, you lent us your girl. And she became the director of about 70,000 people that poured in that place. 17 performances. Hundreds and thousands of people raised their hands to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But if I had prayed that way, we wouldn't have room for the parking, for the prayer pavilion on the side of the mountain that is never closed 24 hours a day. Our small world village where the children meet or the youth building that seats a thousand people. And God is using, excuse me, it seats 2,000 people. We wouldn't have had room for our Southeastern University College or the Prayer Mountain or the football field. If I would have prayed that way for that 15 acres on the freeway, but I never prayed that way. Somewhere, God, I said, you got a piece of property for us. And the same happened at L.A. We needed a bigger place to go. We begin to look for property, and I pray, God, please give me a place that's a destination point. Everybody would know when you said, where to come. I looked at the famous Ambassador Hotel. That's where John F. Kennedy, his son, his brother, Robert Kennedy, was assassinated. It was perfect. I looked at the Jewish temple in Beverly Hills where all the movie stars live. It was beautiful. I thought I'd get to preach to the movie stars. And I looked like a famous person, Jerry Jones, amen, you know. <laughs> I looked at the Power Light Company downtown. Beautiful place. Multiple parking. They wanted $8 million for it. And I even got some money together. And I put it down. And I, they said I would have the bid. And I pray, God, if it's your will, help it to go through. In the last minute... The Korean church came and bought it out from underneath us. I've been bitter at the Koreans ever since. Amen. <laughs> but then, God opened up a place that was twice as big as that on the Hollywood freeway. 15 stories high, 1,400 rooms, 400,000 square feet. And instead of 8 million, we got it for 3.9 million. That became the iconic dream center. That people know all over the world. But at the time, I could not even fathom what God had for us. And that's why the Bible said that our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard. It has never entered the heart of man. The things, the things. God has things for us that we don't even have the ability or know how to ask for. God's got a bunch of stuff prepared from you from the foundation of the earth that you'll never get because you checked just that one box. Well, you say, Pastor, now that I've met the conditions, I'm going to choose what I want, and you can. You have the opportunity. You've met the conditions. Or you can say, God, 
Will you just choose what I get? And I have come to the conclusion that you'll get a heap of a lot more stuff and live a better life if you'll just let God do the choosing. And check the little square that says, God, I want what you want. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come because, number one, God's plan is better than your plan. But number two, oh, I like this one. I'd rather for him to decide to get what I get than myself. And number three, well, let's stop right there. And the reason that I would like for him, because I don't even know all that God has. Think about that a minute. And if I don't know all God has, how can I know what to ask him for? I love the story of the little boy. Went with his mother during the Depression to the grocery store. They didn't have very much money. So she went to check out some milk and flour and sugar. And as she stood there, the little boy looked on the counter. The grocer had a big bowl of hard candy. The little boy was eyeing that up, and the grocer looked at him and knew he was poor, and his mother would never afford that kind of thing. And he said, son, why don't you just reach in there and get the biggest handful of candy that you can. And he gave him a sack. The little boy just stood there. Son, did you hear me? Just reach in there. Get the biggest handful of candy that you can. Put in the sack. The little boy just stood there. A third time. But the little boy just stood there. Finally, the grocer reached in with his big hand, got a handful of candy, put it in the sack. When they walked outside, the mother said, son, what's wrong with you? That man was trying to be nice to you. And you wouldn't even answer him. He said, Mama, don't get mad at me. But his hand was bigger than mine. Amen. Hey, I got some news for you today. His hand is better than yours. His dream, young people, for your life is bigger than your dream. His blessings are better than your blessing. I travel a lot. I eat a lot at restaurants, and I get so tired of the food, they all taste alike. So sometimes I say to the wretches, look, why don't you go back and tell the chef to cook me the best thing he's got in the kitchen and surprise me. And sometimes I come to God, and I say, Lord, I've met your conditions. I've met your formula. I've abided in you, and your word is abiding in me. I don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I don't stand in the way of sinners. I don't sit in the seat of the scorpion. I've delighted myself in you now, God. I'm ready to order. And God says, well, what do you want? Well, God, I don't even know all that you've got. And many times I say, oh, God, just fix me up the best thing you got in the kitchen. And surprise me, Lord. Have you ever prayed for something that you were sorry that you prayed for later? That's what happened to Patty, amen? Look what she got, eh? I mean. It, it. Have you ever been Christmas shopping? And you see one of these $10 Surprise boxes? Now, I could take a chance and buy what's in that box. Or I can choose 
what I'm going to buy. So let's assume that I get $10 and get that surprise box, and I open it up, and what's in it? Hair curlers. <laughs> now, I'm dead sure that I don't need hair curlers. I need what's under those head curlers. Amen. I need hair. You know, I've tried everything to get hair. Somebody said, if you get cold packs and put it in your head, it'll, it'll grow hair. I tried it and got brain freeze, you know. And <laughs> someone else said, no, you put hot packs on it. And it simulates a brain and you'll do it. Didn't work. Somebody said, if you buy a bottle of vodka and just rub that on your head. I tried it, didn't work. I drank the rest. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. Amen. I'm trying to wake that guy up asleep. When I said that, he went like this, you know. But you know, Pastor Ken has discovered how to do it. He can't grow it up here, so he grew it down here. <laughs> I'm having trouble growing up here, so I've decided I'm going to let my eyebrows go real long and just. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. How many know that? Amen. Back to the $10 box. Let's suppose for a moment that the person that packed that box knew me. And the person that packed that box made me. And the person that packed that box loves me with a love more than any other people in the world will ever know. Let's suppose that the person that packed that box owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And all the gold and silver that's in those hills. How do you think now I ought to spend my $10? I'll take the box. Because, oh, my God in heaven, he loves me. He loves me more than I love myself. He knows what I need more than I know what I need. He knows what I want more than I know what I want. Did, did you ever have anything bad happen to you? And later on you said that's the best thing that ever happened to me. You see, all we have to judge is our smell, our sight, our hearing, our feeling. But he who is omniscient, he knows everything. And he has something for you. He who owns everything has something for you. He that loves you with a love that you'll never understand has something for you. 